Good morning, everybody, and following the service across the hall, we got coffee and donuts and all those good things that uh, we can uh, spend a little time knowing more about each other. I want to encourage you to stick around afterwards. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open it to Exodus chapter 20. Now, again, we find as we study the New Testament, Jesus was questioned by a lot of different people concerning the law. Well, what is the law? We remember in, the Bible tells us in Matthew 22, a lawyer, and it's interesting to me, lawyers are a kind of a unusual group of people. And he came and he said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Testing him, it says. And Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. He said, upon these two. Now, never mind the Ten Commandments that we're going to look at today. We have generally trouble just keeping the two. Loving God and loving our fellow man. But Jesus then says that really in these two is the fulfillment of all the things that the Ten Commandments speak of. Now, it's interesting to me today, there's so many different groups that try to get, once you're a believer in Christ, to go back under the law. This, in the New Testament, is what the book of Galatians is about. He says, oh foolish Galatians, Paul writes to them, this, the churches that were scattered throughout Galatia, the lower part of Asia, he said, you begun in the spirit, are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? In other words, all really the Ten Commandments can do is attack the flesh. But the problem is, friends, the flesh is a problem. It's always been a problem. Jesus says, in the Spirit, you can fulfill what the Bible says here is what pleases God. Now, the reason why the Bible is important, this book is how God will judge the world someday. You want to know what the rules are? You want to know what the black and white? You want to know the bottom line? That's what the Bible is about. It's how God's going to judge the world. What does God think about everything? Well, we find here in chapter 20, the people were told to go to the base of Mount Sinai and their God would audibly speak to them. And so they had gathered themselves. Moses is there. He put up a perimeter, that yellow tape that says, do not cross. I don't know what he had, but he had something like that. And he said, don't get any closer because you're going to get killed if you get any closer to the base of the mountain. And so then God begins to speak to the people his standard. That's what we're going to look at today. But we always have to remember, it goes back to what Jesus said to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my, my commandments. Jesus' commandments were not the Ten Commandments. Jesus' commandments was to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask that you would speak to us and cause us to remember these things. And Lord, as we really look, the more we know about you, the more we know about us. 
And so as we spend this time in study of your word this morning, may you cause us to remember these things and that we could defend ourselves against people that say, well, in order to really love you, God, we have to keep your commandments rather than keeping what you said, Jesus, to love you and love our fellow man. In Jesus' name, amen. They're gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. God says, I'm going to speak to them. And this is what God said. And God spoke all these words saying, this is what God said. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. By the way, I always think it's good to remember what God has done for us. I don't always understand everything that God has allowed to come into my life. And as a matter of fact, if you've ever gone through a health issue, health crisis, I have. I know many of you have. I had a heart attack uh, last December, and they put me on all kinds of medicines and all that kind of stuff that kind of mess with your head. You ever notice that? You ever have that, and they give you medicines, and you get despondent, and you get sad, and I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, you find yourself kind of a bucket of emotions, But the Bible tells us that really God is the one that brings us through it all. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now notice, before the law was ever given, before God's standard was ever pronounced to them, God blessed them and took them out of slavery. I think it's really important because oftentimes we think that Well, we're only rewarded when we're good little boys and good little girls. Here we find that the children of Israel actually rejected Moses the first time he showed up. And reluctantly, they only followed him the second time when he brought them out of the land of Egypt after the 10 plagues. And so we find now that Moses has has demonstrated to them, God has demonstrated to them his love, even before the law was ever given. Verse 3, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what God said. First commandment. No other gods before him. What does this tell us about God and what does it tell us about us? Man, you know, if you go to college in order to graduate, you've got to take your psych classes. Yeah, man, but I only want to be a body and fender man. That's all right. We have to indoctrinate you into the world of psychobabble, Okay. You know what I'm talking about. If you've been to college and you got to study Young and Freud and all these other psychobabble people to try to figure out what's wrong with humans and what's right with humans and how to justify that evil conscience. Well, the Bible says here, you'll have no other gods before me. What does that tell you? First, it tells us there is one God and he must be worshipped. Number two, we're idolaters by nature. Now, again, when you study Jung and Freud and they get into the psyche of man, hey, listen, the Ten Commandments is the best expose ever written on what is wrong with human beings, okay? You want to know what's wrong with human beings? Read the Ten Commandments, but read it with understanding, and it's going to help you understand a lot more about why people are the way they are and why you're the way you are. Here it says, you shall have no other gods before me. But you know, by nature, we want to worship something, don't we? 
Isn't it weird that somehow in, in the build it, uh, the psyche of man, we want to worship some. And you think about what we have worshiped in our lives. It might be that new motorcycle. It might be that new house. It might be that diploma on the wall. But there is something that has captured our fancy that causes our existence for being. Yesterday, we had Everett's memorial service. And I was sharing with everybody how there's three things we really need to live. A self we can live with, a reason to live for, and a faith to live by. And when we lose track of those things, we can begin to introduce into our lives so many things that are not healthy for us. By nature... We have to have a reason to live for. What lights your fire? What causes you to put your shoes on in the morning and go out for your cup of coffee? What what is your motive? Well, here's the thing. The reason we live for, that's going to be your God. See, the Bible tells us that from him, the father of lights, comes all good things. And so when we see here, he says that thou shalt have no other gods by nature, We're idolaters. We just are. We'll worship anything, friends. We'll worship the new car. We'll worship uh, 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 the idea, thought of a vacation. We'll worship anything. We have, it's like all of us as human beings are little idol generators. What's going to be the idol this week? I don't know. But what captures your fancy? What lights your fire? What causes you And what motivates you? You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first thing I find about human nature is we want to worship something. He says here, you shall not make for yourselves any carved image, likeness uh, of anything which is in heaven above or that in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. Look at this. He says, don't make images to somehow represent what God is. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says those that worship God worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. But by nature, we are creatures of sight. We are. If I can't see it, I don't believe it. So the danger here, God says, is for you to try to form something in my image that represents who I am. In other words, from the mind of a man carving something saying, well, this is what God looks like. Now you look at religions around the world and look at what they worship. Look at the carvings or the created statues, whether it's Buddha or Tiki's. This is their concept of what God or what deity or what that of religious uh, respect is due. By the way, if you ever look up close on a Buddha, do you you know what's on his head? It looks like little curls. Nope. Snails. Fell asleep in the sun. And the story has it that the snails all crawled up on top of his head as a sunblock. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody that can stay in one place long enough to have a whole bunch of snails cover your head, 
I got issues with that. The idea, the concepts that people come up of what is God like. Oh, friends, it's endless. Look at some of your TV sitcoms. Touched by an angel, or depending on where you're at, touched by an uncle. I don't know. But when you look and see what goes on, people's concepts of God are so weird. And if you don't have God's perspective of who he is, you will have a skewed concept of God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. John three sixteen. Again, that pivotal verse in the Bible that kind of summarizes everything about God. You need to know about him. Now, why is that? Because understanding God loves us. People sometimes come up with a God that must be appeased. God is angry with humanity, chucking lightning bolts down on your car. Really? Well, that's what some people think. But the Bible tells us God so loved the world that he made a peace offering. He sent Jesus Christ. It's interesting, again, before the law was given, God delivered the children of Israel out of slavery. God always, always makes the first move. I love you, as a matter of fact, buddy. Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. I'm waiting for you to answer it, as it says in uh, Revelation chapter 3. So God is a giving God. God is a God of kindness, a God of love. The Bible says he wishes none would perish, but that all would have eternal life. That's the heart of God. So he said, the problem is people try to carve an image that says, whoa, this looks like God. It's not. God says, my ways are far above your ways. What, what image could we make of God? Those that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. But we as human beings like to worship what we see. Not only are we designed, thou shalt have no other gods before me, that we are designed to worship something, but we like to worship what we see. Now this gets into the psyche of man and what causes the problems. And as we move on, as you'll find the first Four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationships with each other. So he says, you shall not take, oh, by the way, verse six, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. He says, I'm a jealous God. I thought jealousy was a sin. No, it's just that we have the wrong fondnesses for things. If you say, I don't want anything else but God in my life, that's a jealousy, but that's a good one. God says the same thing. I'm a jealous God. I don't want to share you with any other gods, any other thing. God says, I want you all to myself. I like that about God. You're the apple of his eye. You're the focus of his, of his, of his pleasure. He says, I'm a jealous God. Now he says, those that hate me, I'll visit their wickedness in their families. Listen, friends, I don't believe in generational curses. I know there's books written in bookstores and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible says God does not punish generations for the wickedness of the parents. You say, well, yeah, but what what does it say right here? Yeah, I know. I believe that's called learned behavior. And if you come from a family of a bunch of drunks, there's a good possibility you'll be a drunk. If you come from a family of abusers, you're going to be an abuser. 
Well, what breaks the chain? What breaks that, that, that pattern in the family? Only God's love. And if you leave God out of your family's life, you leave God out of your children's life, they will be repeating the same mistakes that mom and dad, that grandma and grandpa made. And it almost takes three or four generations for that wickedness to work out. I have a friend that he was raised in an alcoholic family. And I said, how is it that your dad drank, your, your, your grandpappy drank, and you don't want to drink? I mean, perfect excuse, I drink because daddy drank. You know, he didn't do that. He said, you know, Mike, I saw what it did to me. I saw what the alcoholism of my dad did to my mom. I saw what the alcoholic uh, 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 parent did to my sister. He said, I swore I'd never drink ever again. I never drink at all. It's interesting to me that there is that time it works out of itself because usually by the third or fourth generation, somebody might say, hey, we're on the wrong road here. Well, again, he says, those will be repeated in a family until there's an ax laid to the root of that. But God, on the other hand, will show mercy to thousands, it says, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, what is the commandments that Jesus said? Love God, love your fellow man. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Now, I, I realize by nature, that isn't us. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, a great religious leader in John chapter 3, you must be born again. There is a transformation that is required within our souls that says, I don't love God. I'm going to live it my way. God says, you need to be born again. And when we do that, God changes our heart and replaces a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And we are able then to be about our father's business. By nature, the Bible says, no good thing dwells in the flesh. We're not, we're not good in ourselves. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Wow. That tells me that by nature we're profane. That when you condemn God, you're saying, I'm God. Now, you know what's really strange? We've seen an attack, it seems, on almost every one of the things that God says will make your life blessed. Have you noticed if anybody here, moms and dads, you got kids and you, 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 you know, you got these different TV shows on and have you heard everybody now saying, oh my God, OMG, you've heard that? You're reading about it right here. It's interesting how it's been so incorporated into our culture to take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, again, why is that? Because there is no God, I'm God. It tells me another thing about human nature, about who we are as people. I can put everything else down because it's all about me. And that's what our society has become. But there's a lot of ways of taking the name of the Lord in vain. Um, this is one of, by the way, the, one of the first things Jesus did when he taught the disciples to pray. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father, which art in heaven, and what? Hallowed be thy name. Lord, you're, you're wonderful. You're awesome. You're good. That, that's being hallowed. That's, that's exalting the name of the Lord. That's what Jesus 
First of all, realize if we're going to connect to God, we've got to respect who he is. Now, as a person who's been born again, I want to praise the name of Jesus. I don't want anybody else. I don't want to cuss out the name of my God or my Savior. But I have found that there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. One, we can do it through nominalizing who God is. Oh my God. Oh my God. You find little kids saying this because it's in these different cartoons and things. And it influences them. That God is just, I don't know, nothing. Another way of doing it is profanity. Now, again, if you truly love God, you're not going to be cussing him out. Another way of doing it is hypocrisy, misrepresenting who God is. There's a lot of different ways that we can, we, can, we can take the name of the Lord in vain. In other words, I claim I have a relationship with God, but I live like the devil. So that, that's a problem. So, again, looking at the nature of man, we find that he wants to worship something. He wants to worship something that he can see. And what's interesting about this here, he's profane. In other words, by cussing out God, that elevates me. Well, we find now the next. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Now again, um, there's a lot of people that try to bring Christians back under the law again. And um, Hebrews 4, 9 There the writer says, Christ is our rest. Our Sabbath rest is found in him. Let no man judge you according to new moons and Sabbaths and those things. Because Christ is our rest. Again, the Ten Commandments was a covenant that God made with the Jewish nation. Very clearly, in the book of Galatians, it tells us that we're not saved by our dietary laws or what day we worship on. And if you're a paramedic, your day of rest might be a Tuesday or it might be a Wednesday. If you're a policeman, same thing. I do believe, though, universally, friends, there should be a day a week that we don't work, that we just enjoy what God has given us. The world even has a name for it. Stop and smell the roses. We don't even get that as Christians sometimes. Well, you got to keep your old nose to the grindstone. You know, it says here, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, the Lord your God, in all you do, and in all that you do, you shall do no work. You, your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle. Whoa, what? Yeah, even the animals get a day off. I like that. And it says, nor the stranger who is in your gates. In other words, you're going to, we're just going to enjoy what God's given us. Now, this tells me something about the nature of man. One, we will do that. We call them, you've heard this, workaholics. They'll work every day thinking, thinking that my extra work is going to make the difference. It might, but you'll miss life. Be careful. This is part of the psyche of man. Work every day, never take a day off. On the other hand, six days thou shalt work. I know people who won't work any day of the week. They're just lazy. Some of you saying, I know, I'm married to one. But the thing is, is that it tells me two things about human nature. We can work ourselves to death or we can be lazy. 
Now, again, this is part of what's wrong with men. You want to know what this... Now, something I found, anybody here, you might think about this. Your body was designed by God to take a day off. Just was. Now, Sunday may be your day of rest. Saturday may be your day of rest. (laughs) Worshiping on Sunday is not the mark of the beast. Some of these goofy religions out there say dumb things like that. The mark of the beast, clearly the Bible says in Revelation 13, is a mark on your hand or on your forehead. You won't be a buy or sell unless you have that mark. And when I see the crazy way the world is now with the vaccinations, I'm going, we might not be too far away from that. I don't think the vaccine is the mark of the beast, but the mark of the beast may incorporate that, that you have been vaccinated. I'm not sure. Down the road. But one of the things we understand is that God does these things in our lives. And again, when we realize that we have a world that doesn't know God, they don't see things the way you do. They see the things the way the flesh does, a non-born-again experience. And so he says to us that we have a tendency to be lazy or we have a tendency to overwork ourselves. And this is really a problem because if you don't take a day of rest, friends, you know what I have found? I can speak from experience here. If you don't take a day off, your body will make you take a day off. I believe a lot of illnesses are caused by simply we don't get the rest we need. And that's one of the things that a doctor will tell you. The first thing they'll say, do you sleep at night? Well, no, I can't sleep at night, or I'm always too busy to do that. You're angst up, you're all wound out, and the problem is we don't rest. And when we don't rest, our body breaks down and it gets sick. I do believe that there is a direct coalition between getting the proper rest we need and our general health. I think everybody can do that. Have you ever noticed that, you know, you've had some issues in your life, maybe you've been traveling, you don't get the sleep you need when you're driving along, and you get to your destination and you get sick. Why? Well, you haven't slept for two days. That's why. Your body was designed by God, and God knows what it needs. So he says, let everybody have a day off. Verse 11 For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I like that. Now, something really important here we find a lot. Because it says, in six days the Lord made the sea and the heavens and the earth. Why is that important? Well, people say, well, there's a verse in the Bible that says a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. So maybe God created like more like evolution, like over a period of thousands of years. Wrong. If you look at the creation order, you realize that God made the plants before he made the sun. So we have an issue. If it was thousands of years, all those plants would have died. Second of all, the word here in the word for day is the word yam, and it means a 24-hour period. What's well, hard for God? If he wants to create the whole heavens and the earth in one word, he can do it. But he showed us there's an order to make something. We need to remember that as well. There's an order in which if we have a desire for something, that there's a formula or days or there is a, a, a pattern that we follow to do that. That's okay. And the other thing he says here, he says, um, he rested. 
Again, that rest is important. There is a pattern that God follows, and then he rests. And by the way, this is why I completely reject what's called the gap theory between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. God created heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Lord said, verse 2, well, there was another whole world, and there were cavemen and dinosaurs and all that stuff, and it all perished. And this is where all the demons came from. It's the, the, the spirits of the cavemen. That, I mean, they go to the stratosphere on this stuff. It's not what the Bible says. It says clearly here, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. That's what it says. And they begin to interject stuff. Oh, it's called sensationalism. It tickles the ears. Ooh, really? Well, it's not what the Bible says. Know how to defend your faith. Six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Again, the word for day there is the word yom. It means a 24-hour period. He made the sea, all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. By the way, I do believe God created the earth fully mature. I do believe the world went through a terrible cataclysm during the flood. I think that's really important to remember. The first miracle physically Jesus did when he began his earthly ministry, he turned the water to wine. Everybody remember that one? And there's endless dialogues. Was the wine alcoholic or was it not? That is not the point. The point is, is that Jesus took something new and made it appear to be old. It takes time to make wine. In fact, even the guests said, most people bring out the best wine at first at a party, and and you brought out the best at the end. Because he said, when people are well drunk, they don't care anymore. But he said, you've kept the best for the end. That's what Jesus, the first physical miracle that Jesus did, he turned the water to wine. He made something new appear to be old. The first miracle we find in the Bible, John tells us, all things were made by him, speaking of Jesus Christ. Without him, not anything that was made was made. The first miracle Jesus did concerning us is he created the heavens and the earth and very possibly making something new to be matured. I don't know, but I I can rest in that. Now, we begin to deal with our relationship with each other. And again, more of the psyche of man. Let's go. He says, okay, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is given you. Uh, It's one of great commandment. In fact, it comes with a promise. If you're good to your parents, notice what it says in the part of that, that your days will be long upon the land which the Lord gives you. It pleases God for us to take care of our parents. It just does. Friends, to shove them off sometimes in an old folks' home, when every day they just sit there and stare at the door, hoping that their kids will walk through the door. What a terrible way to live. You know, there's a promise that God says, I'll do for you. And there's nothing worse than neglecting your parents. It comes with a promise. And God wants to bless you. And he wants you to remember your heritage and who you are and the fabric of what society is made of, of taking care of our parents. 
shows a heart. It shows a kindness. It shows that it isn't all about us. And by nature, we don't care because God has to remind us to do these things. You shall not murder. Now, some of your Bibles will read, thou shalt not kill. But the real word in the Hebrew is thou shalt not murder, having premeditation to do someone harm. Very clearly in the Bible, God spoke many times to go wipe out the Amalekites or the Hittites or the Jebusites because of their wickedness. That's different. Well, that's a contradiction in the Bible. No, because the word here is the word murder. And it means a premeditated thing. Now, this is why the Bible says, bring every thought captive to the mind of Christ. Why? Because if you have hatred for somebody, that can turn into action. And the action will then kill someone. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If you've got an issue with somebody, moms and dads, kids, hey, listen, talk it out before you go to sleep. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So important because again, this tells me the nature of man. We're capable of murdering. Do you know the first family? And I'm not talking about who's in the White House right now. But the first family, Cain killed Abel. Yeah, use the semi-automatic rock that was an immediate thing to try to ban all rocks. No, the first murder was done without modern warfare. Because man hates man. It tells me by nature we hold grudges. And if we don't get that taken care of, it can wait at the door and destroy us. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That means not to be sleeping with other people's spouses. Kind of a distant, almost Victorian age mentality that is in our society today, but God hates it. Why is that? It destroys the family. It destroys kids. It destroys your ability, and it can lead to your death. You look in the, in, in the news, how many ex-spouses kill their current spouse's lover. It is scary, friends. God doesn't want you to have a cursed life. He wants you to have a blessed life because you're important to God. And so again, dealing with relationship, it tells me by nature we're adulterers. Now, friends, I know we don't want to admit that. But when we live in a supercharged sexual era where you can't even turn on your toothpaste without some girl half naked trying to sell you toothpaste, we got an issue. But that's a problem. Because what it does, it changes the focus from what's best for us and what's best for me to really what you want is what you get. It will destroy us. He also goes on, And here we find, thou shalt not steal. Tells me by nature we're thieves. And every door that ain't locked when no one's around, I say, jailers for sailors. Yes, my album's going on sale. It'll be in the hallway when you leave. No, just kidding. But that's in our society. It's like it's okay when every lock that ain't locked when no one's around. It's okay to steal. Watched a program the other night on TV. This girl felt fully justified to steal from her company because she wasn't getting paid enough. Listen, that's stealing. 
You see, this is really, when we look at this, this is what is necessary for society to exist. And this is what's necessary for you to have a peaceful life. Now again, these are requirements. These are legal laws here, friends. But Jesus said you can't fulfill them. In fact, there's no anywhere here you're going to read that if you do these things, you will earn eternal life. I don't know where people get this. The Bible says, in fact, Galatians says, the law that we're reading is the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. In other words, I realize, as I see these things, I realize something. How many things do you got to steal to be a thief? Just one? Have you ever stolen anything in your life? Candy bar from the store? Hey, they won't mind this if I... And I realize something. We're thieves. We're adulterers. We have other gods. I like to worship what I see. Well, he says here, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Ain't that good to know? I don't have to steal because God's going to take care of me. And, if, and, and I really like seeing the miracles of God, how he takes care of me. You need to go buy something and you see a yard sale. Yeah, I'll just stop there and you stop there. And here's a brand new one still in the package like right there for a quarter. You go, wow, God, that's awesome. God supplies our needs according to his riches and glory. This is one of the great things about how these are filled, fulfilled in the spirit. If you love God, you're not going to be cussing him out. If you love your fellow man, you're not going to be stealing his wife. If you love your fellow man, you're not going to be stealing from them. See, all fulfilled in love versus rules. And again, I, I, I use this illustration because it says it so well. You see, two men on mothers or, or on on uh, on their anniversary in the card section in the local drugstore, and they're both picking out cards. And then a casual observer would say, "Oh, look at those two people buying cards for their wives. They love their wives." Well, on the outset, it looks like that. But one man is there. He's not really in love. He just doesn't want to eat burnt dinners for the next year. So he buys his wife an anniversary card. The other one truly loves his wife. And he's actually going through and seeing what the card says. To a wonderful friend. No, I mean, that's what kind of stuff we we do. We don't read sometimes. Well, that's a pretty card. Guys are like that. Ladies, we're just dumb like that. Well, it looks good. (laughs) What does it say? I don't know. Didn't take time to read it. I signed it. The point is, is this. One person can be there because he truly loves his wife. The other one is there out of obligation. It looks the same, but it's not the same. These laws are fulfilled in our love for God. And because we love him, he fills us with his spirit. We love our fellow man and realize that God's going to take care of us. Verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Oh, there's a lot of ways to do that. Tail-bearing is one of them. Being silent when we should say something, when somebody's cutting somebody else down, when we say, well, you know what? There by the grace of God go you and me. Sometimes we can can, uh, bear false witness by just our silence. Sometimes it's slander. Sometimes it's lies. 
When we're not, when that person's not there to defend themselves like a sniper in Vietnam, when their GIs are getting picked off, no one knows where the bullets are coming from. Well, that's a lot of times what slander is. That's a lot of time what lies are. You don't know where it's coming from. You just know people are talking bad about you and you have no right or no, no ability to defend yourself. So we want to be careful to not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his Porsche, nor anything else that's in your neighbor's house whatever it might be. Why is that? Again, God's going to supply for you what you need. You are not your neighbor. God's got a separate plan for you than somebody else. So all God's called you and me to do is say, okay, Lord, put in my life what you want. Take out of my life what you don't want. Blessed subtractions. Jesus is mine. Well, that's true. Because sometimes we find ourselves acquiring things that we don't need. Again, because he says, don't covet your neighbor's house. I remember years ago, my mom says, well, if you're going to covet, you need to covet the Christian way. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, this is the way you do it. See, nobody knows this. You look at the person and say, I want what you got. And I hope you get a better one. I really want your house, and I hope you get a better house. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. But the point is, we can be happy in him. God supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. I can rest in him. By nature, we're selfish. I want what you have. You don't think this is part of the Olson nature? Well, we can all go into the nursery right now. We can take one toy and say, okay, kids, this is a cool toy. Put it on the floor. Now, the whole floor can be covered with toys, but it doesn't matter. I want that one. And the minute one kid picks it up, that's the one they all want. If you have kids at home, parents, you know this is true. They want, and they will fight over anything. I mean, there can be really nice remote control dinosaurs. And they'll fight over a piece of paper or a a, a part of a cardboard box. I want that. Well, I had it first. No, I want it. I'm going to play with something else. It's amazing to me. I look at that. I go, how do you guys do this? And then God says, it's just like adults. No different. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. Again, Jesus said you must be born again. That's why. Because it's not within us to live righteously. There's something within us that this Ten Commandments that we read is the manifesto of the old sin nature. It wants what it wants. It desires to worship. It wants what our neighbor has. We don't care if we lie, cheat, steal. We just want what we want. That's the old sin nature. God says, I've come to change you. I've come to change your nature, come to change your heart. And unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. That's how important it is. So what does God say then? 
If you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Not the Ten Commandments that saved me. It's that he changes me and puts his heart in me. You know, by the way, all these things in the Ten Commandments, this isn't the first appearance of them in the Bible. Really, honestly, it isn't. Because it's written on man's heart, the Bible says, God's law. You know what God wants. You don't want somebody to kill you, so don't kill somebody else. You don't want somebody to slander you. You don't want to slander somebody else. See, that's God's heart that's been written on ours. But we're unable in ourselves to do what God wants. That's what the Bible says. There's no good thing dwells in the flesh. I need help. And so do you. And so Jesus, the Bible says, the Bible says, I'm going to send you, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that's going to walk alongside of you. Literally, that's what it means. The comforter will come. And the word comfort there is one who walks alongside of us to help us do what God wants. Now, who is the winner in doing what God wants? You are. I am. Why is that? Because first of all, you're you're not going to have somebody crawling through your window trying to kill you because you're with their wife. You're not going to have somebody pulling a gun out as you're trying to steal their car. You're not going to have God angry with you because we think we're God and we don't need his help. You're the winner, but I can't do this. God says that's right. So you need my help to help you love God and love your fellow man. Friends, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what's so cool. I can't do any of this. But God can. And God changes our nature. That's what Jesus said. You must be born again. I can't do it. But God says, I'm going to help you do it. I like that. I got something for nothing. Well, it cost him everything. But the free gift of eternal life is yours this morning if you need it, if you want it. This morning, the Bible says, if we'll repent... He'll come in our life. He'll change us. By the way, as I look at this Ten Commandments, the Bible says if you violated one part, you violated it all. How many murders do you got to commit to be a murderer? Just one. How many lies do you got to commit to be a liar? Just one. How many many, uh, things do you got to steal to be a thief? Just one. We're all sinners. We all need to be saved. I can't keep this. But God says, with my help, changing your heart in love, you'll be able to. When you realize, I want to take care of you, bless you, show you who I am, all those things, I go, wow, God. It isn't by the law, it's by love. I want you all to have a love relationship with God. Because that's what's going to make the difference in your life. Because when you're loved, you can love. You won't be pouring from an empty vessel anymore. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask God to forgive you of any violations that we read here today and to born his spirit into you so you'll desire to do the things that God wants. Not that you have to do the things God wants. Big difference. So if you need to pray, let's pray. It's time to repent. It's time to come home to Jesus. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. 
I'm sorry I have lived my own way. From this day forward, I repent. And I want to live my life for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change my life. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins and rose from the dead to give me life evermore. And so now, write my name in your book of life. I never have to be scared of dying ever again. I know where I'm going when you call me home. And Lord, let me serve you with the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.